Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Okay, good evening and welcome to Equine Voices. My name is Ronnie and tonight's interview is with June Wolf. She lives in Andalusia and she has a fascinating story about how they moved out to a, a farmhouse and ended up rescuing lots of horses, chickens, goats and many other animals. Hi June and welcome. Thank you Hi. for agreeing to interview tonight on this live stream. I'm going to let you go ahead and just introduce yourself and explain your story and how you ended up in beautiful Spain with these gorgeous horses and other animals. So, Okay, well I'm June. Um, We moved to Spain 21 years ago, wanting to give our children a better life. We were on holiday in 99 with my parents in the summer and they were looking at houses to buy and we just saw these lovely old farmhouses and suddenly thought wow why don't we do it so by the September we'd sold our house and we were here Christmas 99 just in time for millennium we didn't speak Spanish the kids didn't speak Spanish they we dumped them into the village school they were 9 11 and 12 and and they coped really really well and within months they were sort of fluent in Spanish And the first house we looked at was our old farmhouse, and we just fell in love with it. It was December, there was a mist down on the mountain, and we loved the highlands of Scotland. So it was just like the highlands, and and it had flat land, which is quite unusual in Spain in the mountains. You know, I can remember my daughter, she was nine, she said, and it's got flat land for horses. And we'd never owned horses before, but I wanted to own horses all my life, and we all rode horses in England. And then we were here about a month and a friend of Clyde's mum had rescued a a Spanish horse and she couldn't keep it anymore. She was getting quite old and she said, would we have it? So that was our first horse called Polly. And we, I mean, we had lots of old barns and things, but we weren't ready to have a horse really. So we were panicking and laying a concrete floor and sorting the stable out. And and then we went to collect her one day and we let the kids have a day off school. It was a special, exciting thing. And we had to hire a man with a horse trailer. Um, And before we could do anything, he'd got a whip out and he was whipping her to get her into the trailer. Obviously, she just freaked out at that and we were horrified and we had to give up. And we decided that we would go back the next day and walk her and ride her home over the mountains and through all these little villages and country roads. And it took us 10 hours. It was about 40 miles over the mountains and it was just such an adventure. Clive came in the Land Rover and the kids all came and we had you know, water and we stopped for a picnic and took it in turns to ride and lead and we got her home and it was just, yeah, it was an amazing story. I mean, she died a few years ago, sadly, but she was the start of it. And then it just kind of grew and somehow we seemed to have this sign above us uh, to dump animals, really dogs turned up cats and before we knew it we were collecting horses as well and then once Facebook took off that was even worse because then people got to hear about us and they'd send messages and say oh we've got this horse would you have it and and it's so hard to say no because it can be quite hard a hard life for horses in Spain and all animals really and all around us you see horses just on ropes you know tethered in the hot sun with no water and no shade it's a very different life here. I mean, we don't have the acres that people have 
in England because there's no grass. So we have sort of quite big paddocks and they can all run around, but we have to feed them hay four times a day and mm. it's a very different life. Wow. And you <laughs> you didn't know any, any um, Spanish at all? We had lovely Spanish neighbours and... They lived next door at the time and the kids became kind of like their, you know, their daughters, brothers and sisters. And they would go around for lunch when they got off the school bus and they would just help us with everything. And I could go around and chat to them. And that's how that's the best way to learn, just like children learn and how parrots learn. And, you know, it was we didn't I didn't have to study. And But sadly, they moved into the village quite a few years ago now. So I don't get to do that chatting thing which is quite hard now because we don't have Spanish guests as a rule and obviously you go to the shops and things but I don't get to practice good old Spanish conversation every day. Yeah that must be really difficult. Yeah we can speak not fluent fluent like the children would at school but we we can make conversations we can say anything we need to do and we can speak good enough Spanish to do everything we need to do. We don't need to have a translator, but yeah, it's yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to learn a language. I was looking to live in France for a while and my school French was very, very limited, but I learned so much by just being there because the, the area we was in, they wouldn't speak English. There was very few no. that speak English, yeah. even though Same they here. could. But it, once they yeah. realised you would try and then they would help you and they would engage with you. And uh, I, I loved it. I loved just trying to um, communicate and, and try the language yeah. out. They, they really appreciate it, don't they? Yes, they, they definitely yeah. do. Tell me a little bit about the ethical side of the riding. You mentioned you rescued the horses and having the tourists, and that is, it helps to fund them because you don't have any funding, do you? No, we, we, we have looked into becoming a registered charity. It is very expensive. There's an awful lot of paperwork and it's so complicated. And every time we've looked into it, in 2008, around the time of the big worldwide recession things were really really desperate then and we had to sell our land rover just to eat and we were so worried about how we could afford to keep the horses and the thing is that they're they're my family so I would never sell them Mm -hmm. um so that's a big problem because a lot of them we've taken from really sad past lives and I couldn't ever risk that they could get back into that that type of life again to me it's like selling my children we get through and then obviously with covid we're in the same position again. We started doing holidays, really, villa rentals, because we've got a very old farmhouse. It's really beautiful. Um, we've done all the work ourselves. It wasn't a ruin when we moved in, but we had old barns that were half falling down and we turned them into holiday cottages. So to begin with, we were letting out like a villa rental. People could come and have a holiday with the pool and, and the mountains and things. Mm-hmm. And then as we got more horses, we thought, well, the horses are going to have to earn their keep. So then we started to do riding. That works really nicely. Often we'll just get a family, maybe with children, and maybe one child likes to ride and the rest don't. And so they can't do the typical riding holiday where it's all very structured and you do this one day and you do Sorry, my little parrotlet has started to join in the conversation. There's another rescue that just flew in one day. So people could book us and they didn't have to think right you've got to ride every day we could be flexible and they could have a day out sightseeing and then their children could ride the next day or or whatever so that was working really well but we were starting to get 
the type of riders that I, I felt uncomfortable. As people got to know us more and we were on different riding holiday sites, we were getting people that really just treated horses like machines. And, and at the end of each ride, they would say, or at the beginning of each ride, they would say, well, you know, what percentage of this ride is going to be cantering? Straight away, I would, my heart would sink because it's hot here and the ground's hard and it's hilly. And I don't want my horses to be treated like machines and galloping around everywhere. And I'd come back from each ride so upset. And I'd think, well, if I didn't have to put people on my horses, I wouldn't. And I, I got to the point, I thought, well, what can I do about this? It was really keeping me up at night. And then I decided we were just going to do walking only rides. And I wrote a blog and I explained why. So many reasons. Because I worry about their well-being. You see some of the people unbalanced, bouncing about on their backs when they're cantering. We'd have a couple of people fall off and they'd say, oh, I lost my stirrup. And they admitted nothing the horse did wrong. And I was thinking, oh, my God, they could die. And it's not my fault. It's not the horse's fault. So many things. I was getting so worried about it. And I wrote this blog and explained all these things, really, and said why I felt that walking-only rides were the way forward. And the response was incredible. And I had people saying, oh, we really respect you. You're so brave to do that, to put the horses before money and blah, blah, blah. Honestly, I thought I would lose business, and I actually got more business from it. And I got nice people. I'm not saying that people aren't nice if they want to canter, but the people that come now it's because they love horses and they want to be with horses and they want to just go out for a nice ride enjoy the countryside have a bond with the horse and it's not about racing around but it's been fantastic yeah I mean most people would like to have a nice canter but like you said it's really hot it's hard ground and to me it's getting to know the animal and experience and seeing the scenery with that creature and walking it and I'd be quite prepared to walk on foot so I totally understand that. And like you said, they're your precious Yeah, and it's lovely to canter. And, and I did used to love cantering, but there was always this, oh, right, here we go. Because if people don't keep the right order with the horse and let one overtake, there's so many things to think about. And you've got to have eyes in the back of your head with clients. It's different when you're just riding your own horse or you're out with friends. But when you've got people that you don't even know, mm-hmm. you don't know how they ride, it was stressful, but we had years of doing it and it was lovely and people loved it and there wasn't a problem. The funny thing is now we get a lot of much older riders, which is really lovely. In fact, the minute I wrote the blog, the next day I had a booking from two older women and they said, oh, we were too nervous to book a riding holiday before because we didn't want to be cantering. Of A lot of these formal riding holidays, they can be quite scary sometimes where the leader just suddenly puts their arm up in the air and they say, right, off we go. And it's not what everyone wants to do, especially as you get older, is it? And you lose your nerve. So people started to book and they're older and it's it's been lovely. But it, there are other challenges because sometimes they might struggle to get on and off. We've made a nice big chunky mounting block now, but we had to, in the beginning, get hay bales sometimes so they could get down without hurting their knees or they'd not be able to get their leg back over the saddle. There was a really funny story once because I had this really nice man and and he was riding every day. But each day I was like, oh, how are we going to get him off today? And I'd be worrying about it. And I even (laughs) developed a way of having a hay bale. And then as they got off, I'd I'd loosen the girth so the saddle kind of slid with them so that they didn't have to get their leg over. And it worked really, really well. But on the last ride, the horses were quite sweaty. And we came in the gate and we're walking across the sand to where we get off. 
And the horse he was riding, Bonnie, must have decided that she was so sweaty that she needed to get down and roll. And he was still on her. So he just did. She got down. His legs were astride her. He stepped off. And I said, oh, I trained her to do that because I thought that would be the easier way for you to get off. It was. He just laughed. It was funny. But, yeah, it could have been disastrous. Oh, dear. So, yeah, it's it's lovely. And, and I'm just getting people. They'll say halfway around a ride, oh, do you think the horse is too hot? You know, shall I get off and leave them? And it's just so lovely. So it's really, really working out. Well, it was working out really well until COVID hit. And now we're, I don't know where we're going to be once we start up again. I mean, the poor horses haven't really been ridden at least 18 months properly because we don't ride much in the winter anyway. So it's really t- summer 2019 since they were all ridden regularly. So, mm. But they're great because they live out. They're all bitless and barefoot. They're all very, very calm. And I've got two Finnish girls staying with me at the moment for a little working holiday. And we've been going out every day and just taking each horse out, different horses, and they're all perfect. So mm. I'm very proud of them. They're very sweet. So They're very lucky to have landed on your doors, certainly. <laughs> so I know that you've had Bern that I interviewed. He was the one that mentioned you. And I remember him telling stories of, um, about you before. So he came out and did he do like a workshop or something at your place? Yes. Yeah. With the... Yeah. Um, the um, is it Master? Ma- yeah, Master. Master some, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it Trace, was lovely. It was really lovely, and the horses loved it. You know, yeah, he's such a gentle yes. soul, such a kind yeah. man, yeah. and also Tracy, Tracy um, Cole. Yes, yeah. she came out as well, didn't she? Yeah, she's lovely yeah. too. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> lovely that comes. <laughs> yeah, and we'd planned to do lots more. Burn was going to come again, and Tracy, but obviously everything's been cancelled now. Well. To be honest, it was before COVID. It was when Brexit. Do you remember when Brexit first happened and no one was travelling? I don't know if you... It seems like a distant memory now because no, it was, it was almost, almost like people thought that when the Brexit date hit that planes were going to fall out of the sky or something. You know, it was that bad and, and no one was booking holidays and everyone was really uncertain about what was going to happen with the pound to the euro and all sorts of things. And it really did affect us and really it was just starting to look like it was picking up when um, covid hit so that, yes, <laughs> that was a bit of bad luck absolutely so where are you today then how are you managing the horses how are you managing to <sighs> clive and i just do everything on our own anyway so most of the time we're on our own and we've got a good routine and we enjoy it it takes us about an hour in the morning to poo pick and feed so looking after the horses is easy but riding is another thing because I really have to bully Clive to ride with me. He he rides and when he's out, he's fine and he can ride really well. But there's always something much more important to do. But sometimes I have to say to him, well, look, look at it like a job. You've got to go and strim the weeds and you've got to cut the hedge and you've got to clean the pool. Well, you've got to go for a ride. But mostly I can't persuade him. But we were lucky we had one of our Finnish helpers that came years and years ago who's sort of become like a daughter and she she comes regularly and she was here for the the beginning of the lockdown last year so we were able to ride a lot then and then she came again this spring so I was getting the horses out again and now we've got these other two Finnish girls one has been out a few times with her family on holiday and that's how she knew about us and she's come with her friends so that's really nice because we're getting out getting the horses out again Hmm. But they go on Tuesday, so we don't have any guests until about the 17th. But a lot of guests come now 
the ones that are booked in at the moment are just for a holiday. They're not necessarily going to ride. So there's not too much pressure this year. The horses are getting older. That's the thing. The youngest, apart from one, our last sort of rescue, who came to us with terrible, terrible sweet titch and her owner couldn't cure it. And we don't tend to get the mosquitoes here and the, the problem with sweet itch. So she asked me if I would have her. And when she came, you could hardly see her skin for scabs and bleeding and no mane, no tail. And, and now she just looks completely healthy. But she's about 11, I think. But the rest are the youngest of 16. So we're gradually working towards non-ridden to be honest I want to do a lot more courses I'd love to have everyone back like Bern and Tracy and and if there's anyone else out there who would like to do a course here they're great fun because we get lots of lovely like-minded people hopefully come on the course um we feed you and accommodate you and there's a pool and jacuzzi and it's just really nice and we all eat together in the evening and I, I cook the food so yeah if anyone wants to do a course in their speciality that's to do with horses that's I'm always open to different ideas we've done different like Tracy does the confidence we do barefoot trimming courses we have two lovely women called Sarah Oliver and Jane Cooney who come and do show people how to trim horses which is really nice but it's always nice to think of other ideas too because the horses love it because they get a lot of lots of attention and if it's equine massage or something then they're getting some attention and when burn came the horses just loved it they'd just stand there and fall asleep that's how I had started to work towards I had a lot of courses lined up but then obviously we had to cancel everything and then with those at the moment people can come they could do the course but then maybe do a little bit of riding just casual nice little go out in the mountain and then as the horses get too old to be ridden it can just be maybe take horses out in hand or just the course but at least hopefully they'll still sort of earn their keep a little bit because we just it's our own it's the only income we have as I said we can't be a charity we can't it's too expensive and it's just not doable but we had to set up a fundraiser last year and people have been amazing so generous and we tried not to just purely ask for donations because that felt embarrassing. But I had lots of options. People could sponsor horses. They could have like a nice little printout for kids and own a pony type thing. They could um, pledge a holiday deposit so that they had something to look forward to next year, probably now. Last year it was this year, but obviously that's not likely to happen. And so I have about 40 holiday deposits from people that will turn into booking. So that's something at least mm. keeping us going, thinking that we can survive. But it's been really, really hard just trying to every day think of ways of trying to raise money. We haven't sold the land this time, though, yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we haven't got that bad yet. And we've had no guests, so we've just cut everything down, unplugged everything and just cut our overheads down as much as we can. It's difficult for everybody, but when you've got animals to feed and to care for and yeah. and your your income is through the horses, that's just quite yeah. stressful, very stressful time. And making plans, it's difficult because you can have ideas, but it's date-wise, isn't it? Like you said, yeah. it's going yeah. to be next year. We had postponed agility course we've started to do agility with I don't know if anyone knows Ellen Cochran who is amazing and she's got her world champion mule that, and she was coming out she came as a helper a few years ago so that's how I got to know her she was coming out I think last year last May and then we tried to think about maybe postponing it to September and then we 
postponed it to this May. And now we've, we're going to do it next year. And same with the trimming course. Everything's got to be next year, fingers crossed. It's so hard to make plans because I've got bookings for the summer that were people that couldn't come last year. So we've held their holidays over. But now it looks like they can't come again this year. But meanwhile, because I've got those weeks booked, if I get maybe someone from Germany that wants to come or someone from France, or I can't take their bookings because the weeks are booked. It's such a difficult situation. So I'll end up probably very last minute having some availability, but probably won't be able to fill it because everyone will have already booked their holidays by then. Yeah. And it is really difficult because people have said to me, do you, do you want me to make a decision? Shall I say, right, we're not coming now? And they're still holding on to hope that they can come. And I want them to come. I don't want to say no, okay, just cancel so that I can take someone else's booking. I'm just desperately hoping that the UK government will allow people to come and not have to quarantine, but it's just looking less and less likely. I'm sure there are other people in similar boat to you. Oh, yeah. We live in a beautiful place and there's lots of things to be very grateful for and, you know. So. You need to eat, June, and so do the horses. So that's important. Yeah. And people say, well, why don't you take Spanish? But they, it, it's so difficult. They do their holidays very differently. They tend to just want to come on a Friday and Saturday night, which then obviously if we were to get another inquiry would block either side. And there's an awful problem around at the moment, especially since the lockdown, where they have these sort of illegal parties. They'll book for four people, but then 20 will turn up. So we just can't risk it. We had our fingers burned at Easter with a similar thing happen and we just can't risk it. It's not as black and white as people think. I think sometimes people think, oh, well, you're not helping yourself. You could take Spanish. And we've tried and we can't. Nothing against the Spanish. They're lovely people, but it's just a different culture. Unfortunately, through social media and all the courses and everything, a lot of lovely repeat guests. It really has been English guests in the main, which has now put us in a difficult position because we need to get out there to the rest of Europe and try to get some business that way now. I'm trying to think of something you could do in the meantime, like sponsor a horse or... We've got a website shop. It's got some virtual things. You can have a unicorn experience. There's lots and lots of things. We've had a lot of um, other animals that just get dumped on us. We've recently had two kittens that, that, and a mum that got dumped and people have been um, uh, donating to have them sterilised and things like that. So we've got all these different options. You can also just pledge a holiday deposit from €25 Euros and it gives you something to look forward to, but it also helps us to keep going and, mm. and also gives us some hope that at some point someone's paid a holiday deposit and they'll turn it into a holiday. Yes. And also if you pay a Deposit, you also can have 10% discount when you do book. So we're trying to give something in return. And it's been amazing. And we've had some very kind people that have made, you know, quite generous donations. Mm. And it's quite humbling how kind some people are. How about having an auction night or something? So a virtual auction night, you could have a theme evening or something. So you could have a wine evening and people can donate something. I'd, I'd quite happily donate a communication. You can auction that off. Burn could offer a body work, something like that. I'm sure you'd love to do that. And Tracy, would that be something do you think that you could? I have no idea. You have to be careful because somebody said something like this to me recently. And then when you look into it, it turns out it's quite illegal because we're not a registered charity, you see. Someone was doing where you pick a number, like a draw. 
apparently totally illegal so you could get into trouble so oh my goodness yeah I looked into it and Facebook's very strict on it Facebook I don't know what logarithms not logarithms what they called something yeah (laughs) they um they won't allow you to mention the word competition so even though they're a registered charity and they're trying to do this competition to raise money, they're just getting nowhere because it blocks everything. And it's really strange. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, my goodness. So you can't even... We looked into so many things, but the fundraiser did work out very, very well. People are getting used to those now, I suppose. But then the trouble is, it tends to be the same people donating all the time. And then you feel bad and you feel like you can't share it anymore because enough's enough, you know. So... They, they wouldn't donate if they didn't want to, and, and no. that's amazing that they do that. It's incredible. But I think a lot of people, especially if they've been here on holiday, they've met all the animals and they know the problem we have. I mean, we've had so many animals. You can wake up one morning and there'll be a box of puppies at the gate. And it's not fair. We shouldn't have to deal with this, but we do. We have to, you know. Um, um, and you turned up too, didn't I get hate messages about Finn, which is horrible, on Facebook sometimes you're terrible, you shouldn't have a bird in a cage. And I don't want a bird in a cage, but when a little bird flies in and he's an exotic bird and can't live in the wild, wouldn't even know how to fend for itself and would be killed by other birds, what do you do? He can't live with other birds, so I couldn't take him to the rescue centre, Avery, because if you Google parrotlets, they're quite antisocial birds and they will not live with any other bird. But I let him out every day and he sits on my shoulder and he helps me type and he, he drinks my drinks and he's just a lovely little thing. And yeah, so he's very happy, as you can hear. Yes, Finn, he likes to interrupt me. It's like having toddlers as soon as you're on the phone. You... <laughs> I'm surprised the dogs aren't bothering me. They're very quiet. Uh-huh. My daughter has recently moved to Spain last year, thank goodness, with her husband. And she ended up fostering a dog. They worked in the Maldives and they thought they were going to have to go back. And, and obviously with the recession, but they didn't think they could have a, an actual dog to keep. So she said with foster dogs, then she could say, well, sorry, but I'm going back. You'll have to have the dog back now. But at least it was doing a good, kind thing. And um, now that she's here permanently, she did keep one of the foster dogs, but she's fostered loads of dogs and she's got the rescue centre. And we thought, well, we've got no guests. We've got two dogs of our own that were rescue dogs. One was dumped at the bin and called Peanut. And they become really popular with the guests and it's lovely and they love the guests. Um, But you have to draw a line because you have people sometimes who don't like dogs, believe it or not, they come to a farm and they don't like dogs. But (laughs) So you've got to keep it so that you know that your dogs are well behaved and they're not going to bark and everything. And obviously, if you take a new dog, you don't know whether that, you know, it, is, it could bark, it could cause problems. But because we've got no guests, I thought, well, and there was this little dog at the rescue kennels and, well, little dog, it's a big dog. And I kept seeing it. And I went with my daughter once and I thought, oh, poor thing. And so I, I persuaded Clive that we could just to foster it. And he's lovely, but he's big. And at the moment, we haven't had any luck finding an actual adopt, adoptive home for him yet. But he's a very sweet dog, so hopefully it won't be too long. Hopefully by the time we've got guests again, he'll go. It's tempting to think we could keep him, but obviously it's another mouth to feed. We just can't do that. I feel like I'm doing something helpful at the, to make the most of the situation. Yeah. Um, you come across as, such a, as a caring, lovely, positive lady from the li- little bit that I know of you. <laughs> And you've got the support of your husband. <laughs> yeah, he's very long-suffering. Well, he's a cat man. He loves cats. If, if cats turn up, then 
he he doesn't say no to a cat, but I have to do a lot of persuading for any other animal. <laughs> He's given up now anyway. So <laughs> no, there will not be any more horses because we're getting older and, and it's quite horrifying sometimes to think that we could still be working down there poo picking when we're 80, you know, you just because our horses seem to live a long time. The old ones we've had that have died now, they're, they're well into their sort of late 20s, 30s when they die. So our youngest ones could have quite a while to go yet. Not That's that I want news. them to die, but it's quite worrying. Absolutely. And hopefully next year, fingers crossed, you can have more people because yeah, they'll be absolutely. wanting to get out and, and your regulars that they desperately to get away yeah. like you said they'll come back and visit i'm trying to think of other ways to get some more funds for you i've got two books you can get them on amazon i wrote the first in the recession in 2008 again to raise money when we'd had okay. to sell the land Rover and so I wrote a book called No Time for a Siesta, which you can find on Amazon. And it was just about moving to Spain and all the animals. So it's a biography, but it's, it talks about a lot of the animals. We did all the building work ourselves. Literally, we've never employed anyone. So we built the pool and built the stables and we planted all the garden. It's been a real labour of love. It's just the whole story of the kids going to school and all the different things that have happened. And that took it up to about the time that our oldest son got married and the kids left home. And people said, oh, are you going to write another one? I said, no, I didn't feel comfortable with it because I'm not very good at self-promoting. So I should have been out there promoting the book and I just couldn't. So it just sits there on Amazon. And if someone stumbles upon it, they, they buy it. But I do have paperbacks here. So guests buy the paperbacks a lot. So that's nice when we have guests. So last year... Um, about halfway through the lockdown, I'd started a blog, a lockdown blog. And that, that was really good because it kept me positive. Because when you take photo evidence throughout the day for your blog, because on Instagram you can put 10 photos. So that became the thing that I would do a post on Instagram and it would share to Facebook. And then it makes you focus on the positives and, and see the sunrise and see the sunset and, oh, doesn't that horse look cute? So that kept me going I think it's been a godsend actually but it also kept fo people following me so I think it was it was a good thing to do you know, I've got lots of people because when the lockdown kind of went on and on and on and then it got to the beginning of this year and I thought oh god am I boring people and I started to hint that I maybe should stop it and people said oh don't stop so that's nice so I'm still doing that but halfway through the last year I thought I've got all this daily blogs and I need to go back and carry on as well from where I left my last book off and I so I've done another book now basically and I've used kind of the the lockdown blog but then I'm reverting back to tell stories I'm having cues from the book to be able to go back and carry on the story from where it left off and that was something enjoyable to do as well that's now published on Amazon as well and that's called too much time for a siesta <laughs> because obviously in the lockdown we we had too much time for everything really so yeah, if anyone wants to buy them, you can find them on Amazon. She's a she's a lovely lady. It's funny, yeah. I just know through um we just seen her on Facebook, I think, and just commenting and and um we sort of got to know each other just a little bit <laughs> from that. And and then Burn, when when I posted about doing Burn's interview, I didn't realise Tracy knew him. So it's such a small yeah, world. It's a small world, it is. It really is, it isn't is. it? I'm still racking my brains. What can I do? I'm quite happy to put something on my own page just to say I'm offering um, a reading. Actually, I'll do a reading for somebody 
and instead of paying me, they donate it to you. Well, it's very, very kind of you. you, But what we can do is add it on the um, website shop. Yes, do that then. Absolutely. Whoever wants to do it or wins it or whatever can then just pay for it on the website shop. So normally do it in person, but I can do distance. You don't have to be there. It doesn't have to be anybody in this country. It can be anywhere. Would it be something you'd be interested in to come out to Spain and do a call? I'd love, or... I'd love, I'd love to when we could travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. Would it, does it work? I mean, how, how does it work? I take it normally you do it with people's own animals, do you? I managed to do a day workshop and I was going to do a weekend workshop this year but because of how things have been I didn't really want to plan it and then it to not to go ahead so it hasn't happened but no that would be something to talk about definitely definitely interested so I'm happy to do in fact I'll donate two I'll donate two and normally it's 40 pound in sterling and it, it doesn't have to be in this country yeah so you can add that to whatever Tracy just says. <laughs> so people don't have to be with their own horse, that's what I'm saying. So they could come out and do whatever you're teaching them with my horses or... Oh, yeah. So if it's a workshop, yeah. it's basically introducing people to communication and what exactly does it mean and how that everybody can do this. And they're probably doing it without realising. And you definitely are because you were listening to your horses. So it's about that and just showing them a little visual, but to experience it themselves. And that's what I did at a workshop. They got to, we had a little chat first of all, and then they went off and just practiced with horses in pairs. Yeah. And even my tutor that teaches equine massage, she came along and I was so honoured and it was lovely it was lovely to watch her but to hear her feedback as well because most body workers are intuitive as well because um, that's what they're listening to as well as what they think the skill is they're listening to their intuition brilliant if anyone's listening and they they have anything like that that they do like equine massage and all those sort of things are so nice for our horses too (laughs) because they get a, a treat it's also when you're around horses it's not all about the riding it's just spending time with them because they're so therapeutic yeah. and so healing yeah. and they just allow you to get in touch with your own uh, emotions and again that's something else that that I'm I teach is is understanding what that means it's not just about the horse it's about what they're relaying to you and what's that mm. telling you about your own emotions your own feelings and quite often you get loads of tears if I get tears mm. when I go see a client that's a good thing they've released something would, it, would you find that if a horse had a bad past it had been abused, would you feel that? Would that come out? It depends because for me, it's very much about what's going on now. So when I go out, it's very much about the present time. Ah. I don't delve into the past unless they no. want to show you it. Mm-hmm. And what they tend to do is give me something from the past as verification that I'm connecting to the animal or just to share something. When I first used to do the communication, you can get quite graphic things, but I don't necessarily need that for what I need to do because my work, I'm wanting them to see what's going on with the horse and what's going on with himself because at the end of the day, it's the human, the person that's going to make the changes. The horse can guide them, but if the human's not on board, it's going to stay as it is. So that's where it's aimed at. 
And it's just naturally sort of gone in that direction. So I don't ask about the past unless it's relevant or or they decide to share. They don't want to just give you their life stories. It's not about me going there saying, okay, tell me everything that's going on with you so I can tell the human. Because they can be lame. And as long as they're not in severe pain, that might not be their priority. Their priority might be, I need you to to relay this to the human because that's what's causing problems or that's causing a block. And I need them to let that go so that they can see what's going on with me or so that I can get closer and then they can hear me themselves. Does that make make sense? Yeah, as long as it doesn't turn out that all my horses hate me or something. <laughs> oh, no, no, God, why would they? I, if one ever said that, I would never say that anyway, because that would be hurting <laughs> a person intentionally. I would say it in a nice way as possible. What if you did get those sort of messages that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I've, some people do. But if you look at it this way, if you were the person and your horse was saying that, and I said that to you, you would either block me, you'd shut off and you would not want to hear it because yeah. it would be painful and, and it would be and not a nice experience. Yeah. So for me, it's about connecting from the heart to the heart because whatever that person may be, you're hoping that little chink, that little light, they can feel it and then they are putting um, actions into place for what needs to be done. And you're giving, when I say giving them the power, I don't mean like ego power, you're letting them see that and come to their own conclusion that Mm. that's what needs to be done because it's not about belittling people and making them feel inferior or or bad about themselves. You want them on board. So you Mm. do it as empathetic, if that's the right word, and as kindly as you can do. But I have shook somebody. I saw five of the horses. This was years ago. And they all had the same thing. And and they was all doing a similar thing. And I I kept saying it was something that she was doing in a nice way, in a nice way. And she was like, yeah, but why do they keep doing that? And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) So I got older and I was shaking. I was going, have you listened to me for the last five horses I've just done for you? Did you hear what I said? But I was saying it laughing. She was laughing at me. I says, what did I I just say to you? And she went, yeah, but I'm not sure. And then I goes, do you know what? I think we'll call it a day. And um, I was there all day. And then she led her horse out and the horse did something and she come running back she went I've just got it I've got what you've said now and I'm oh. like, there you go but oh, it, it took five horses and but she kept yeah. thinking why are they doing that she, what she wasn't seeing is no it's not what they're doing it's, uh, it's what yeah. you're doing and yeah. each horse is doing the same thing so it's not uh. the horses but I said it in a way that was funny and it would build up a rapport by then when there's five doing exactly the same thing it just proves your point doesn't it that makes it easier if somebody was doing it to me you tend to be a bit tunneled vision because you've got what you think you're looking for so somebody can say something to you but it almost goes past the side and it's mm. not what you're hearing because you, you're focusing on what you think it is and you almost have to turn them around and say look at it this way and, they, and it's like mm. right okay yeah I never thought about it like that we're creatures of habit and we do things the way you've always done them and it must be quite hard to hear something especially to be told that something you're doing is causing that but it's great I've got 13 so that would be quite interesting but but the very interesting thing would be if 
if there was a difference between the rescues and the ones that were born here. So I see a very big difference in them because the ones that were born at ours, you know, we bought a horse and she was pregnant and she had a foal, which was Leo, um, and he's now 19. And unfortunately, his mum died a couple of years ago, but he just loved her so much. He was still suckling milk until he was four. <laughs> and also, from just turned one, he fathered his first foal with one of the rescues, which we didn't expect. So that was a bit of a little accident. And, and before we realised, obviously, that he'd done that, he'd fathered four, three more. So so we, from him, we had four accidental foals. The vet kept saying, yeah, I'll geld him in the autumn. And then the flies would come. Oh, and when the flies have gone, I'll geld him. But then it would suddenly get too cold. And he'd say, oh, I'll do it in the spring. And so by then, he was about 18 months old. And we had all these foals. And we hadn't realised at such a young age that he was, yeah, he would be off making babies. We just didn't really put two and two together, which was a bit silly, but I wouldn't be without the foals. The interesting thing is, so we have Leo and then we have his four foals who we still have, and they're all 16 as the youngest now. Leo's 19. Um, and they're just very confident and the whole character is very different to the rescues. They're all lovely and they've adapted. They're all very happy now and they're very calm and they've got over whatever traumas they had when they came to us. But there is a definite difference. I can't really explain it, but they're more horse. They're not scared to be a horse, whereas the rescues are very much, they've been dominated. So they hold back and mm. you've got to be, I don't know. Obviously, this is from my perspective. I can't talk about everybody else, but they don't think about it the way we do. That They're very much, as you know, in the present time. Mm. But the memories of what happened will be imprinted on them. Right, and, that's, yeah. and it's the same as people. We can't always recall what happened or why we feel nervous, but we have triggers. Sometimes they don't necessarily remember the actual event, but they remember that they have to react when something similar to that comes along, like something happened in a trailer. Yeah. Um, they don't always think about that actual event that's happening in the trailer, but they know when they get to the trailer, they remember to react, if that makes sense. One of the more recent horses we took on the previous owner said oh if you need to have her feet done she has to be sedated when the foals were first born we decided that we saw their beautiful little feet and at the same time one of the mums had had a terrible trauma with a farrier because the farriers are quite brutal here and I hated it I hated the farrier coming and he'd sedated her and he'd blown the vein in her neck and the vet said she could have gone blind she was the reason Capri she was a rescue horse and she was my favorite she was so lovely she died now she was 31 when she died but after the farrier blew the vein in her neck she had this terrible pain in her head and I thought oh is it her teeth I got the vet out and she said no it's not her teeth but and she told me what had happened so she was the reason I went bitless and I just could not believe the difference taking a bit away from them every single horse just was calmer and happier and from that moment I took all my horses bitless overnight and it was just amazing. But then at the same time, I had this awful farrier and I looked at the foal's beautiful little feet and I thought, how can you nail nails into those gorgeous little feet? So I went barefoot as well and we went on the course because you can't get barefoot farriers here and well, you couldn't at the time. And thank goodness, five does the feet now. 
because we wouldn't be able to afford now with no income to have their feet done. But Clive's done them for years and he's a precision engineer. So everything he does is so precise. He took to trimming horses' feet, you know, like a duck to water and he's very good at it. And they're all totally sound and it's, you know, their feet are gorgeous. I mean, when Sarah and Jane come, they they can't believe her. Clive actually has to use a battery angle grinder with a sanding disc on it so he doesn't have a lead or anything and because their feet are so hard a file just hardly touches it mm. when he has to trim the frogs his knife just sometimes just won't cut anything some people especially in australia use even a little like a dremel thing that can go around the frog and stuff because it's just crazy they are so hard they deal with all the stones and everything so well. So, yeah, it's easier for us to say, oh, yeah, you take your, your horses barefoot when we live in a country where their feet are so hard. But I can understand how it isn't as easy when you've got rain every day. We don't have to put up with anything like mud fever or any of these rain scald. We obviously do get rain. We do everything as naturally as possible because that's really evolved from the nervous rescue horses where you just want to take everything away and make everything as kind as possible and, and stress-free as possible and this horse is this us going back to this horse that the previous owner said you can't touch her feet she has to be sedated just to do her feet I use clicker training and I just sat with her with the clicker and the treats and I just touched her leg when she accepted that clicked and gave her a little treat and I'm not joking within about 10 minutes I was picking all her feet up and it was just, and the same horse was so frightened of being caught. She wouldn't let you catch her. She's got scars all over her nose because they just permanently kept her in a head collar so that they could grab her. I made a little tiny paddock with electric fencing so she could walk up and down, but she couldn't run away. And I sat on a little mounting block stool and again with the head collar and the clicker and treats. And when she got brave enough to just come over towards the treats, I'd get her to touch the head collar with her nose and click and treat. And within a few sessions, she was putting her own head into the head collar and we've never, ever looked back. She has no problem at all. She always lets me catch her. Sometimes when I go in the field, all the other horses just, they want to come out because they love clicker training and they love agility and they love to go out for a ride. You can't stop them coming out. It's like me, me, choose me. But she will always look at me, take a few steps away from me as if to say, I can still walk away from you, you know. And I just say, stand. And she just stands and Oh, okay then. And it's really sweet. I love that she still does that, but she doesn't run away anymore and she doesn't put up any fight really. She just has to prove to me that she can if she wants. <laughs> Credit to you um, doing that. Horses recognise, animals recognise a genuine heart, a genuine desire to want to help and be kind. So I think that's what you must exude this without realising it because that's what they're picking up on and the clicker training if you believe that's going to work, then it's going to work. And that's what they're following, yeah. your belief yeah. in that. And that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I know it works because I, I use that with my own mare to, to get over my own obstacles with my nerves. You don't have to do everything perfectly. And my mare would understand what I was asking by the click and I'd, I'd cluck to her and, and she'd know. Mm. So even if it wasn't the correct way for another horse person to be doing something, she'd be saying, okay, that's what Ronnie wants me to do. Yeah. And she wouldn't do it if she really didn't want to do it because it would literally be a grain. It would be a tiny, tiny thing. And then yeah. it would be a scratch. Sometimes I used to think, I don't want her to think that she has to do that. I'd know the difference. If she was doing it because she just wanted a treat, but she really wasn't in the mood, there'd be a different mm. um, energy around it, a different look. But sometimes when I've done it on consecutive days, she'd be at the top of the field. 
are we playing today? And I'll be, okay, in a minute. And she'll be waiting. That's what I've found since I started doing clicker training is that they actually, we did a clicker training course once and it was so funny because they would all be in line watching and then choose me next. I want to do it. And one day, one of the horses, she's my old, my lovely old rescue Capri's, the one that had the, the vein blown and start of all the barefoot and the bitless. When I rescued her, she had a one-year-old foal who's half Belgian draft. So she's this big, chunky thing. And I'd said to the woman that was doing the course, I, have you got a horse that you haven't done much in the web clicker training with? Because I want to be able to show people one that hasn't done anything and, and that you can do this with your own horse, even if they've never done it. And and I said, Bonnie, she's Bonnie's such a good horse, really. I don't really have problems. You know, like if you have a horse that won't pick its feet up, you can use the clicker to, to be better at that and stuff. But she was good at everything. So I said, yeah, we could use Bonnie. Well, she just turned out to be amazing. She would just stand on the platform. She would, you know, every, she would just do everything. But she loved touching the cones. And the woman on the course that was working with her, she was teaching her to touch each cone. And then the session ended and she she went to put her back in the field. And then Bonnie just got loose and ran into the arena again and touched the cone. And it was just so cute. It's like, I want to keep doing it. That's what I love about clicker training. They get so enthusiastic and they just genuinely enjoy it. May used to share with another horse, my close friend, and she's, was, was she 28? She was an older girl, bless her, big horse. Mm. And if I was doing clicker with twos, sometimes I'd video it and I was doing clicker. And the next thing you'd see this big horse walking between you and the camera and she wanted yeah. to join in and play. So, yeah, she used to come down and play. I love it. They love the attention, which is so nice because then you don't feel bad about if you're taking them for a ride or something because they obviously they enjoy it. So... If I went to get a horse and it didn't want to come out, then I wouldn't want to take it out for a ride. I think you need to listen. And if they tell you they're not happy with something, then unfortunately, when you run a business, you can't always 100% do that. If a horse doesn't look particularly that keen on going out for a ride, but you've got people that are turning up to ride, you can't go, oh, well, we'll put you back in the field. You can't always be that perfect, but it's nice when you can. I think they're quite forgiving. They they don't expect perfection. And at at the end of the day, We all have to do things we don't want to do. Mm. And we don't use whips. We don't use any force at all. They they don't have bits. And we just go out and they have a nice little meander in the countryside. So even if they don't particularly think that they want to do it that day, I can't say that they ever really give me that impression. But it's not such a terrible thing for them anyway. No, they have a good life by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. Good life and everything that they need and lots of attention and lots of love which at the end of the day and and full tummies (laughs) it's very hard though because you don't have English hay here it's like your hay is like a dried grass it's a whole crop so it it could be a wheat crop or an oat crop and they cut it when it's green so it still has the seed head on it and that's all there is here grass doesn't grow so that's what you have some horses just only have straw so our horses have this whole crop that's cut green and it is lovely and it's fresh and we've got a really good farmer and we get consistent hay all year they have the same diet every single day for every meal we don't have laminitis we don't have colic but we can't add lib i beat myself up about it i've tried and i know some people say oh but they get used to it but they don't they get obese because it's got the seed head on it it's not like english hay and if you just let them pig out on that they would be so ill 
So I feed them four times a day, which is more than most horses that are kept like that get. But everyone says, oh, if they're standing around for so many hours, they, they'll get ulcers. They, honestly, they never, ever get ill. I've had the horses, I've had horses for 21 years now. They never get colic. So I've got to stop beating myself up about it because it's fine. And it's not like they're still in a stable hours on end with no food. They're in the fields together. They're grooming each other. They're sleeping. They're playing. So it's not as if they just stood not eating. But do you see what I mean? Yeah. I give them breakfast and they may have a couple of hours before when there's only little bits of food on the ground and, and then they'll get their lunch and so on. So, yeah, they don't have food all the time permanently there, but there's always something to pick at and and they'll get another meal. The one thing that over the years I've always felt guilty about because everything you see on any horse group is like you must ad lib and we can't, so... There's lots of people that can't do that for various reasons. And you know your horses and you know if they're contented and happy and you can see yeah. that. The fact that they've not been ill, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I've also found, I remember reading about barefoot and the benefits of how it just makes everything work how it should. And they are so much healthier since they've been barefoot as well, which is incredible because it's everything else that goes with it, how the foot works and how it works as a a pulse to the rest of the body and yeah it's incredible I was just going to say obviously uh, in the UK we're not allowed to trim our own horses so that's that's illegal but in reality places like yours in America and and Australia people have to do that because you have no choice so that's fascinating until Covid we were having these barefoot trimming courses sort of once a year and and at least we would have someone too very experienced and very Mm. popular hoof trimmers in the UK and very qualified who would come out and they would say, yeah, the horses look great. So we knew we were doing it right. Mm. So that was handy. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully will be handy in the future as well. But So hopefully next year things are going to turn around. What have you got planned in the next few months? Is there mm. anything? No, we're just hoping that the bookings that we have for the summer will happen because a lot of them are from England. I'm hoping that maybe in the autumn things might get better and then we'll suddenly be really really busy (laughs) but who knows we're open all year round but things generally do go quieter in the winter anyway so I don't really think about the winter too much I'm hoping that the courses the barefoot trimming and the um, agility course that we already had cancelled twice um, will happen next May so that's what we're aiming for and any other courses that we can arrange it'll be fine by the autumn I will hopefully be able to try and book some courses in for anyone who wants to run a course here basically and what we do sometimes is we back to back the courses so that because we usually do a three-night course that's a nice length of time for, for usually for people that are teaching the course but also for people to come for a nice short break but sometimes if people want to come for a week and make the use of their flights and they might be interested in two different things it's quite nice to back to back them so the agility and the barefoot course were running one after the other So Mm. people could come for a week's holiday and do two courses. That's quite nice as well. Or just come for one. Doing something like, you know, when people come for therapy, just be with the horses and get back to nature. Something really simple where they could come along. You don't have to actually be right next to the horses to interact with it. You can be watching them because it has an effect visually and um, on a vibrational level, something that you could do like a simple weekend where people can come out and just get back to nature. 
Mm. just chill without any pressure of anything but just almost like being in that moment we had a yoga retreat as well which is we did riding in that but you could also incorporate like you say just hanging out we have um guests that have just booked the the cottage as a sort of self catering accommodation who aren't even into horses but they'll go and they'll like you say hang out at the fence and watch the horses and they'll come back and tell me things about them and they don't even know anything about horses and they'll say oh they did this and they did that and they they find it really fascinating so like you say it's just a really relaxing thing to do isn't it yeah Yeah. stand and watch yeah somehow to promote that to get across to people that that wouldn't necessarily be aware about it We've had a, a few guests over the years who've had maybe autistic children, or I'm not saying that that's to do with healing, but it's just, it's just jogged my memory. Someone that even worked with Down syndrome, and she said, oh, would I be interested in having disabled people here for a holiday? And I said, yeah, because it's what our horses do best, really. They like hanging out with people. And because we're taking more older people, maybe who are nervous or, or beginners, we often just walk with the horse and lead them. So the rider's being led out into the countryside and it's really nice because they feel safe and I don't mind walking along next to a horse but that's obviously a nice thing to do with disabled people and people with all sorts of you know health problems we do find we get quite a few people that come with problems as well you know like I say we've had autistic children and it's amazing the bond that they have with the horses and also we had one mum and I've worked with autistic children in England with toddlers before we moved out here. So I know about it, how you you interact. And there was this teenage boy, Dutch boy, he was 15, and his mum said, oh, he's autistic and he wants to ride. And I just treated him, talked to him normally, you know, why would I not? And got him on the horse and I explained, because he looked down at the ground all the time and his mum was concerned, I should know that he does this and I thought I still need to just treat him as if you know he's any other person what I did was make a thing of saying when you're on a horse you need to look up ahead and you need to look through the horse's ears and look where you're going and his head came up and he did look his mum still seemed concerned that I wasn't treating him differently do you know what I mean it was very strange but but it was just amazing to me how it brought that out of him the horse made him different and made him I'm not saying normal because that's not the right word to use but do you know what I mean I just think it's just fantastic the way horses have you have you heard of the book I think it's called about a boy that's an amazing book I'd got that years ago and then I was listening to a podcast talking about it but that's just a a brilliant example and they, they went all over and the experiences that they had together he said you don't wrap them in cotton wool yes they are slightly different but you don't do it that way no I think I can understand that a parent that has had them from birth is wrapping them in cotton wool yeah well I think also it it really helps to just almost pretend that you don't know any of that if you think about it if you go see a horse and you you've no idea that they've got trauma and this has happened and you don't know and you're not really that savvy but you go to a horse you can see the horse react differently because the person doesn't have any preconceptions of what was going to be like as soon as the idea into our head that energy form is transmitted to the the animal we have that all the time with riders because we get a lot of nervous riders now and they maybe had a horse that's run off with them or something and of course they're riding bitless and maybe they haven't ridden bitless before so in their mind it's the horse is going to run off and I say look the horses have never run off because they 
just because they're bitless, actually they're easier to stock. But that's a different story. But we might be walking along and our horses don't get scared of things, really. You never say never, but you could walk along and then there'd be a great big tractor or something. And I can feel the person stop breathing because they think my horse would be off across the field. And I just say to them, keep breathing. And, and we always we have loose reins. And I say to them, look, don't touch your reins, because if you shorten your reins, the horse is thinking, oh, what have I got to be scared of? And then we get past the thing and they're like, oh, but that was amazing. My horse would have been off across the field. And I say, well, if you've got a bit and tight reins and then you get scared and then you turn your reins even more, the horse is going to be thinking, oh, my God. And because we ride with washing line reins and there's a smile in the rain, there is no tension. So even if they are sitting there and I'm forgetting to breathe, if they can not touch the reins, you're on a winner straight away because the horse isn't sensing it. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to your stories tonight, a little bit of your life. And I feel that we've just scratched the surface and I definitely like to donate. Uh, anyway, we've got to survive because we have to for the animals. So we'll survive yeah, <laughs> somehow. There's been a few riding places here in Spain that have started selling their horses. I'm not condemning them, but they they were more businesslike in the first place. Ours was never a business. It was our pets first. And then it had to become a business to fund them. So I'm not condemning people that do sell their horses, but all I'm saying is I can't even consider it. It's not an option for us. And anyway, who would want them? Half of them are battle scarred rescues. They're all minimum 16 and they've never had a bit in their mouth. Who's going to want them anyway? I couldn't even imagine the ones that were born here. How on earth would they ever adapt to a different home? They live with their dad still and their brothers and sisters. And how could I do that? Amazing. It's amazing. So thank you again um, for agreeing to come on tonight. I just feel that we scratched the surface. and yeah. um, obviously well, I didn't, I, So thank you very much to June. That was lovely. I hope you enjoyed that. And there's links to her webpage and Amazon, the books that she was talking about earlier. So we'll post any more info that we get out if she's got any workshops that are coming up, which is probably going to be for next year. Obviously, things are still up in the air a little bit. But thank you for listening. If anybody has any ideas or you want to contact June, you can do that through uh, her webpage and message her and she'll get back to you as soon as possible, especially if you wanted to go out and and do any workshops, which would be a great help because, as she's mentioned, she is self-funded. So they have to pay for the horse keep and everything, but they are family, so they're not going anywhere. So thank you very much. Have a lovely evening and catch up with you all soon. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you. You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.